Caroline Corey is an award-winning filmmaker and founder of Omnium Media in 2010. Since childhood, she's had psychic experiences, ESP and precognition. She's appeared on many shows, including Ancient Aliens, Coast to Coast AM, and The Unexplained with William Shatner. Her documentaries on superhumans, ET contact, and expanded consciousness have influenced and awakened millions of people around the planet to the greater universal reality around us. You're listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala, your source for the uncensored truth regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global, and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. Welcome, Caroline, to Exopolitics Today. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. Well, you've been very busy with uh, all your documentaries, and I know you've had a lot of experiences get going back to your childhood. So I thought it'd be great to introduce you to my audience in terms of you know, what it was that happened in your childhood that influenced you to take this path that you've taken. So you know, let's start. I mean, around age five, you began experiencing psychic experiences. So what happened? Yeah, so... Um, at the age of five, I had a, you know, what everyone understands as being a contact experience, except it wasn't an extraterrestrial, you know, like a little gray or a little Pleiadian or something like that. It was just beings of light. They were just light beings and uh, they showed up and uh, we started communicating telepathically. Um, they told me that we come from the same lineage, from the same part of the universe, and I could actually experience it. I could actually feel it. So it wasn't just that they're putting information in my brain. I could literally kind of retrace that lineage myself. And they said that that's, you know, that's how it works, that we come in in human form, but we remain connected to our uh, non-human lineage. And if I wanted to continue this communication, I had to focus on what my brain was doing. So, you know, I'm five years old, right? So I'm focusing, okay, I want, I want to communicate, you know, my whole life. And so uh, this is kind of how it started. You know, they were basically explaining to me and showing me that you have to focus your intention on what you want. That was basically the idea. And, and then they left. And so since that time, I realized that, oh, there's something else, or I come from somewhere else. You know, there's always that thought in my mind. And so as I grew up, um, of course, I kept thinking, how did, how did that work? How did that happen? You know, how is it possible that I could see these beings, but nobody else could? How did I hear them? How did I communicate telepathically? You know, all these questions. And so I realized that I was basically tapping into consciousness. I was talking about consciousness. And so I worked in the field of consciousness science, basically, because I wanted to understand the mechanics of it all and how we can, you know, expand our consciousness to continue this sort of communication. And so from my personal experience, I developed these methodologies to continue interacting and communicating and connecting with the bigger aspect of who we are. And of course, through that work, 
you know, more interaction with extraterrestrial intelligence, uh, doing regression work, and so on and so forth. So that's kind of how it all evolved eventually into from teaching to making films to working with people from all around the world, um, you know, and understanding more about uh, this topic. Interesting. Uh, with these light beings, uh, how many of them were there? And, you know, can you say more about how they looked? Was it a kind of blue light? Were they bioluminescent? Uh, how tall were they? That kind of thing. I think that's interesting. Yeah. So it it was interesting because they looked like a group, but actually I could sense about seven of them, but there was more at the same time. It was like seven and 12 and then more. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to describe, you know, because you're, as you know, it's not linear time space. So it's, it's kind of like on top of each other. It's like kind of like in different dimensions, so to speak. And then that that lineage continued on. It was like a stream of consciousness that connected on um, like all the way into the universe. I could kind of retrace a, a whole bunch more beings that kind of looked similar. And so in terms of size, you know, I'm five years old. So they looked, appeared very tall, but there's no, it's just basically light. There is no, you know, humanoid shape or limbs or, you know, internal organs or anything like that. It was just like pure light. And they kind of made it clear in their communications with you that you were connected to them, that you were in, say, let's say in a prior life, uh, one of them, or that you chose to incarnate as a kind of a, a person that would bring in their knowledge, their experience, and would be connected to them throughout this life? It, it's not like a past life. It was more like this current life. It was more like I'm on this side of the veil in human form. And then the rest of me was on the other side of the veil with them. So it was like, it, it's like an extension. It's fascinating. And so that's why it felt very familiar. It felt very comfortable. It's like, oh, I, I know exactly what this is and who this is, you know? So it's, it's more along those lines. Well, I know the Monroe Institute, um, Robert Monroe, he talked about the total self. He talked about group souls and how mm. you know, we incarnate, but we have uh, our full self involves these different aspects of our identity that are in other realms or in other planets or other worlds or dimensions or whatever. But it sounds like this is an experience of... You know, it wasn't just an ET contact experience. You were meeting like your your total self, your, the fuller expression of who you truly are. Exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, so it's kind of like those beings felt like they were my family, you know, on the other side. That's why they felt very familiar. It was like, oh, you know, I know exactly like, hello, you know, uh, you know. But yeah, I was also seeing myself there that triggered some sort of, um, kind of understanding kind of like where I had come from. You know, I could kind of see like, oh, my origin is in that part of the universe. And I kind of made my way and kind of came on this side of the veil in this human body. It was fascinating, you know, but, as, but understanding it in a, you know, five-year-old mind, you know, so mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but but it, obviously I remember every single detail because obviously it touched me and it impressed me for sure. 
Well, I, I, I think it's fascinating. I mean, I had an experience in 1985 and I was around 24 at the time and, and it was kind of similar. There were these, uh, like, I, I can't, there were like three of them, three light beings, these blue, tall light beings that came into my room. My girlfriend had broken up with me, so I was emotionally a wreck. And so it was like they were there. And what I felt, you know, I felt this love coming from them, but I also felt that they were my family. Yeah. And I was confused because I thought, hey, but, you know, you're not my brother. You're not my sisters. You're not my parents. It's like, how can you be my family? So I was confused. You know, in, your, in my 20s, I was pretty confused a lot of the time. But, but uh, that, was, that was interesting. That was, uh, but, yeah, I, I totally get it that, that they feel like family. Actually, you know, you know, if I can back up a little bit, uh, what happened was uh, it was actually Christmas Eve. And, you know, I tell the story um, because I remember very clearly I, I was looking around and I was seeing like my parents, you know, and all the adults like, you know, doing all the Christmassy stuff, you know, putting gifts and dinners and and bickering. And, you know, so so I so I was looking at them and thinking, wow, these humans, isn't Christmas about love? And uh, they don't know how to love each other. I was like having these thoughts, you know, and then I was thinking, what's Jesus? Like, what is that? Like, how does he fit? I was thinking about Jesus and love and, you know, um, and realizing how humans uh, did not understand love. And exactly at that moment, Michael, this is when they showed up. And then that was such a huge contrast. You know, the energy was so loving and like amazing. And that felt like home. So to me, in this context, I was like, oh, I understand why I don't relate to these people because I'm from there. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it is fascinating, that family connection. All right. So you have those incredible that incredible experience at age five and um, you know you, you then go on and follow a certain life career and in 2019 uh, you produce your doc first documentary so you know what happened how did you end up becoming a filmmaker yeah you know, what was your personal journey to get to that point well actually I studied film and actually also performing arts you know like when I was younger but I didn't do anything with it I went more in the performing arts that was kind of my day job for a long time actually and so and then I started teaching like I said I developed methodologies for consciousness expansion and healing and things like that um, and regressions you know for people who did have contact experiences and, and so but then when I started making um, experiments with scientists because, for example, um, I would look at someone, even since I was a kid, I would look at someone and I could see what was going to happen to them the next day, for example. And then later on, they will say, oh, you know, this thing happened. So as a child, I would, I would you know, I realized that I could see things before they happened um, or that I could see through a wall or I could, you know, things like that. So later on, as I started working in the field of, of uh, consciousness, we started doing experiments, you know, with scientists and to try to see what is the connection between consciousness and the physical world? How is it possible 
that you can see something before it happened or at a distance, such as remote viewing. And so, so doing all these experiments, we kept getting amazing results, you know, like, for example, um, I remember one of the experiments, this, the scientists were in the San Francisco area, I was in the Los Angeles area, and they had a whole kind of set of devices, you know, electronic device, electrical device, heat, you know, heat sensors, all kinds of things like that. And, uh, and at a distance, I would try to influence these devices. And of course, under laboratory conditions, you, you know, you do it over and over and you see a time correlation. I mean, it's scientifically done. And so we would get these incredible results, you know, every single time that, uh, at one point I was like, wait, this is not crazy stuff. This is real. You know, this, this, this is, this actually happens. And that's when I realized we need to share this with the public. And I started to make films like that. Okay. So that, uh, that's a kind of, so what was it in the performing arts that you were actually doing? What, what particular aspect of that? Uh, directing, okay. choreographing, you know, also when I was much, much younger, I used to model and say, you know, <laughs> it's like okay. myself. Yeah, you know, I was myself. But, but, um, but, you know, I would do big, actually, I did a very uh, big concert, actually, at the pyramids of Egypt. Um, you know, those types of events uh, for a while. So like I said, as a day job, but then uh, at home or, you know, in my heart, I was kind of working on all this uh, spiritual, energetic, experiential things that I was really, um, you know, fascinated with, you know. And so at one point, I just couldn't do both. <laughs> it was like, okay, that's it. This is not me. I have to really, really focus on my real work. And uh, I started doing this type of work full time. So in 2019, then, it all comes together and you're working on your first documentary, E.T. Contact, They Are Here, The, the Science of Contact. So, I mean, in that documentary, what, what is it that you were focusing on in terms of explaining the, the non-human presence on Earth and, and the range from angels to extraterrestrials? Yeah, actually, I my first, uh, it wasn't a documentary. I started making films in 2012. Um, and I made a film called uh, I Am the Universe, which is actually beautiful. It's an all CG, CGI film. And it's kind of an experiential, um, meditative uh, film that allows you to literally uh, go back to your original essence and feel how you basically incarnated. It's it's super cool. But this one, uh, ET Contact, was basically about contactees. And so because I was one, of course, I only I talked about the experience at the age of five. But eventually, as I grew up, I started to to have contact with different extraterrestrials, different types. They would show up in my bedroom, we'd have conversations or something would happen. And so that's why I was fascinated uh, by the subject. And so in this film, it was really about the contact experience in many different forms that it takes, abductions, genetic manipulation, um, genetic engineering rather, uh, crop circles. It's, it's a really, really cool film. 
So have you had any kind of uh, direct personal experience with the abduction phenomenon or has it always been with uh, these more evolved light beings that, that you've had your own personal experiences with? I was never abducted myself, but I worked with a lot of people doing regressions. So part of the methodologies that are developed was to be able to help someone go back to a trauma, uh, whatever it may be, for them to remember what it is so that they can clear it or come to terms with it. And so, so uh, I worked with a lot of abductees. And when you do that, so because I have the ability to see the subtle energy and see the energy of the person. So as I'm doing this, I'm actually looking and finding, coming in contact with different types of extraterrestrial um, you know, beings that I wasn't aware of, you know, some of them is like, oh, this one looks different. And, you know, so that's kind of how uh, I realized um, the range and the different types of extraterrestrials that were interacting with us through hundreds of, you know, uh, regression sessions with different people. So in terms of uh, what you learned through these regressions with different people, um, the abductions, the grey extraterrestrials were one. Uh, what about these uh, reptilians and insectoids that are also described in abductions? Uh, you know, did you what, what did you learn about them? Yeah, most of the um, abductions. Well, I mean, it depends, but most of the harder ones, the ones that are not so pleasant, uh, usually had to do with. Uh, some sort of genetic uh, component. They would take the woman or the man and extract some, you know, eggs or sperm or something like that. And usually I would see uh, reptilian types, but also humanoid kind of types of extraterrestrials. And it's usually somewhere on, a, on some sort of craft uh, or a base somewhere. I've seen some actually underground uh, I, I mean, I would describe them as, you know, U.S. I don't know about U.S., but, but um, I mean, uh, maybe Air Force bases and things like that, because they looked like a underground uh, rather than on a ship. So, so yeah, usually I would see reptilian types. I would see a lot of these insectoid types. Um, again, some of them humanoid types, like hybrid types. Um, I also would see a lot of, um, now, the very positive ones, the benevolent ones, because some people uh, get abducted, but it's a very, it's actually an upgrade, you know, they, they, it's not about the genetic uh, anything, it's more about upgrading their system, they actually feel calm, and, uh, they, you know, they're not scared, uh, they recognize sometimes some of the extraterrestrials there. And uh, usually I would see very tall blue beings. They seem to be coming from Sirius B. Um, they have a beautiful healing energy. And they don't. They kind of look humanoid in the sense that they have a head and limbs, but they don't have internal organs. You know, it's kind of like just blue light kind of in a humanoid shape. So it's interesting. Uh, those are beautiful beings. Uh, gosh, I've seen so many. There's also some of them that are uh, white, but like 
like white, like milk white, like not just like pale, you know? Um, and, and their skin looks a little bit like a almost plastic, how <laughs> to describe it. It's a different texture. Uh, and these also seem to be very benevolent because they don't um, seem to perform any sort of intrusive, invasive, uh, you know, um, procedure or anything like that. So, so it's really a whole range. It's not always the reptilians. And of course, the little gray ones, I had an experience with the little gray ones. Um, actually, it was one time, a long time ago, I was uh, in Atlanta at the time and I woke up and I saw, because I felt a presence and I see these three, was it two or three? I'm not sure. I think three, three little beings on my left. And, and I looked carefully and they look, you know, the typical, you know, the big head, the little limbs, you know, and I looked and I realized like they, oh, they, this is not their skin. This is some sort of, uh, jumpsuit of some sort i realized that the gray um is also could come like the ones that i saw were blue it was a blue color but it wasn't their skin it was that sort of you know jumpsuit thing and then the eyes you know those big black eyes i realized because they were so close they were like right here um the 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 black eyes weren't their eyes it was like a cover it was like a you know goggle of some sort and so i remember thinking oh you know the grays that people talk about actually aren't gray <laughs> they're you know it's it's they're wearing these suits and they, this thing because i sensed that they couldn't breathe in our atmosphere so they had to wear all this gear to kind of exist in our atmosphere that's kind of how they came across and they did not have a good energy. They were bombarding me with very negative energy and I had to kick them out. So that was one of these uh, experiences. The reptilians too showed up and these guys weren't very nice either. <laughs> okay. And when you say uh, they showed up and you kicked them out and you saw them, I mean, th this was like they would physically appear in some way and, and you would just mentally, telepathically communicate, I don't want you here, leave and... And, that, and they would leave? Is that what happened? Yeah, it, it's kind of like half material. So it's kind of like, it felt like if they were material, it would be on the other side of the veil, so to speak. And then it's almost like they were half material, half non-material. That's kind of how they felt to me. But definitely 100% felt that they were right there. In other words, it wasn't some sort of holographic projection because I've seen those two where, you know, you think they're here, but it's actually their energy that's here or their consciousness that's here. Like they were definitely in my space, um, just half, like half, half hollow, uh, half uh, material, you know? And so, um, so that's, that's how they were. The other ones were, what was the question? If, if I could, uh, oh, telepathically, yeah. And so everything was telepathic. And so um, they, they were just bombarding me with like really bad energy. So I could feel that they were trying to harm me, you know? So my reaction was uh, I put up a shield and then I said, you know, go away. 
you're not welcome here. You're banned. I don't remember exactly the words, but it's something like, go away. I don't want this. You're not allowed. Um, something like that. But I had to struggle. It wasn't, it wasn't like go away and they left. I had to like <laughs> constantly keep telling them like, go away, go away, you know? So, um, so that's, that, that was the experience and that's how we communicated. Okay. So in, in that um, documentary ET contact, they're here. I, I know you talk about angels and you talk mm -hmm. about positive extraterrestrials. So what's the difference between them? Yeah. Is there a continuum there? You know, I, 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 I'm very happy that I included in this film all types of beings that I have come across and that I know of because we don't really hear about them that often or ever actually we're only focused on you know the greys and reptilians and pleiadians but actually there's a whole range of beings uh that are non-human and so including the angels and the archangels i mean why aren't we talking about them as non-human intelligence that's interacting with us oh yeah i mean it's bene benevolent usually and so to me they're part of uh any type of contact because it's a, they're not present in physical form you are interacting with them usually telepathically but also there's different kinds of beings uh that we don't really understand so for example there are beings that uh, aren't humanoid and they perform very specific tasks. So for example, they look like rods, you know, they don't look like a, a shape of, of a being of any kind. And yet they move energy, they move energy from one place to another. So they're interacting with us on a mind level, but they don't appear uh, like an intelligent being. And so if we came across one of those, we would, it wouldn't register, you know, it wouldn't register that, Hey, I came in contact with this being because they look like a rod, if that makes sense. Sometimes we see, uh, spheres and we, we think it's a UFO. Well, um, I've come across types of beings that, for example, are called the gravity controllers or the life architects or, um, the celestial guardians, you know, these beings, again, they have a massive, a huge, huge mass consciousness mass. So they're, they're very, very big. You can think of them like as big as the sky, for example. So, and they don't have any humanoid shape again, or limbs. So if they were to come into our, um, our physical spectrum, because they're so wide, so big, it's almost like you only can see a part of them. You know, maybe they're a little pinky or something. And that part of them could appear like a sphere, you know, just like a, like a little, you know, part of their light or something. And so, so when we come in contact with them, we don't recognize that, wait, we're interacting with an extraterrestrial. We think, oh, it's a, you know, one of those uh, UFOs or something like that. So there are a huge number of intelligent life that's out there that is interacting with us that is present on the earth but in a different dimensional spectrum uh, that I talk about in this film and in my books too you know I mean in the film there's so much you can talk about so and a lot of them are benevolent and amazing and and I can tell you that 
if we're still here, you know, our planet hasn't exploded yet, you know, self-destructed yet, it's probably because of these beings. So how are they influencing our consciousness and how does that impact our DNA? So, yeah, I think that DNA consciousness element is very, very important. So, yeah, how, how are they influencing that? So you have to realize, you know, as a lot of people say that, hey, you know, I want to communicate with my spirit guides and my extraterrestrial friends and I keep asking for this and, um, and, and nothing happens. And every time we do a session, a regression session or something like that, I realize that, you know, I can see the beings right there. And then they tell me, they communicate with me and they tell me that they cannot do something with, for you. It's kind of like you have to ask for them to interfere or intervene to do something. And even then there's also free will and everything else. So even though they may be with us on the other side, supporting us or guiding one way or another, they're not going to do something for you or, um, you know, just some divine intervention, you know, make something happen. That's one thing. And the second thing is you also have to ask, remember, at the age of five, I was saying, that's the first thing they taught me. They told me that, you know, even though you are connected, this is your lineage and you, that cannot be severed. You are always connected. And that line of communication is always open. But you on this side of the veil, you have to ask, you have to focus your intention very clearly and ask very clearly, uh, you know, what it is that you want. And so, um, so, so there's all of this that comes into play when, when we are talking about how consciousness interacts with other beings. Having said that, <laughs> you are going to have beings that will interfere whether you like it or not. And now we're talking about the negative uh, guys, you know, the guys who are here to mess with us, you know? And so, um, I've seen a lot of this and I can tell you a typical example of this is mental health. You know, people who are struggling with mental health, for example, schizophrenia. When I, if I work with a schizophrenic person and they're hearing voices, they're seeing things or they're not crazy because they are, I literally can see an entity sitting right there and telling them things because they on the other side um, of that spectrum they can see our energy they can see our brain waves they can see everything about us so they're picking on your fears they're picking on your blocks they're picking on where you're stuck and so so they're going to feed if you if they want to mess with you they're going to be telling you things and feeding you things through visions or what people call hallucinations. So that's a typical way of how, you know, extraterrestrials are interfering uh, with our free will and messing with our consciousness. Yeah, that kind of uh, ET interaction with our consciousness is a very interesting one. I mean, I trying to, I mean, if I can generalize, I mean, I would say that the kind of ETs at the more negative end of the spectrum, the, the greys, the reptilians, 
that they do these biological experiments to alter DNA and to kind of trace the results of that through family um, lineage and so forth. Uh, but the positive extraterrestrials, they are influencing consciousness and DNA changes through um, kind of like uh, changes in what in culture, music, or uplifting beings or people through various things. I mean, uh, crop circles, for example. I mean, th these are this is something that influences our DNA and, and consciousness. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, how are these things, these tools, whether it's crop circles or other things done by the different ETs, changing the DNA and consciousness of our species? Well, it's all about resonance. In fact, there's uh, there have been studies to show, to demonstrate that the DNA can transfer. In fact, I think they did it with two animals. I think it was a frog and I can't remember, like two different uh, animal species. And they were able to demonstrate that the DNA transferred from one species to another without any interaction, physical interaction of the two. So this means that, you know, I mean, it's a sort of epigenetic in a way uh, where something outside yourself is literally being integrated in, the D in your DNA and transforming your DNA. So, I mean, we can look at it. It's, it sounds crazy, but not really. It's not so far-fetched. You know, you know how um, when you are uh, with someone for a very long time, you kind of start to take on their stuff, you know, you start to say, or sometimes you're like, oh my God, I'm turning into my mother or something like that. So this is not just uh, psychological or mental. It's literally on a DNA level, your DNA is constantly adjusting, it's absorbing information um, and recycling, you know, it's information to redefine what it is and who you are. And so when you have an outside source, uh, such as a crop circle, which is a geometric frequency, it's, it's, it's emitting that frequency in space. And if you come close to it in proximity to it, uh, or simply by looking at it, uh, just because of what I, everything I just said, you are able to resonate uh, with that frequency in train to that geometry and basically absorb that information. And usually these geometries are loaded with information. It's kind of like, it could be a whole story that you are downloading through the resonance of this geometry. Yeah, I think that's a very important uh, point that you made there. I mean, just looking at that crop circle that was there, I mean, it, it's very uplifting. And that's just one of many crop circles that uh, the geometry in that is very kind of... Uh, consciousness raising it has that very positive influence and and that the elect there's an electrical field associated with it people uh and you mentioned that that go into those crop circles they report on the electric field so that's that to me would be one of the ways that the positive extraterrestrials are raising the consciousness and frequency of the on the planet by yeah. the crop circles Yes. And also there's now recently, I mean, it's always been around, but I think we're hearing maybe more and more about scalar, 
scalar technology and scalar waves. And the reason why this is important is because uh, even though it's still poorly understood, but I'm experimenting with this myself with some devices and things like that. But uh, there was a German, uh, there's a German uh, scientist, I think he's physicist, biophysicist. Uh, his name is uh, Konstantin Meil. And he was able to demonstrate validate mathematically uh, the correlation between DNA and scalar waves. Uh, basically, he, he was saying in his paper that the DNA uses scalar waves to transfer information through photons of light. First, let me explain what scalar waves are for those who, who are not familiar. Uh, you know, we, we, we know everybody understands the electromagnetic waves, right? They're, they go up and down and it's linear in this sense, in this way. But scalar waves are longitudinal waves and they go in all directions of time space, all at the same time. And more importantly, they go through matter, not just matter, but they could go through a Faraday cage. So therefore, there's nothing stopping them. Uh, and so, so, and, and it, they travel basically across the universe faster than the speed of light. So he was able to demonstrate that the DNA, the human DNA uses these scalar waves to transfer energy through light photons across the universe instantaneously. Think about that. So if our DNA can be transferred or our thoughts, or when we download, when we say, oh, I came in, I'm downloading information from the Pleiades or something like that. It's not so crazy anymore. When we think that our minds are interconnected or, or our brains, you know, can transfer information uh, at a distance, it, it all becomes possible. So, Yeah. So then, you know, when we're looking at the different ways the ETs interact with us as a species, I mean, on the yeah. one hand, you've got the, the greys doing these genetic experiments, which are kind of, it's a very slow, tedious process, genetically altering individuals one at a time. But on the other hand, you have uh, this DNA alteration that the positive extraterrestrials can do using these scalar longitudinal waves, projecting long distances um, to influence us. So... Um, yeah, so this kind of like DNA modification is happening all the time. Exactly. And, and it kind of makes sense. You know, we're very linear here. We, we think all is finite. You know, our science is finite. You know, we can't imagine that you could transfer information at a distance. And yet, you know, everybody knows remote viewing does work. I mean, the governments of the world have used uh, remote viewing to spy on each other, you know, for years and years and years, they're still doing it. I guarantee the, the Russians and the Chinese, even we are still doing it for sure. Uh, maybe not, you know, as you know, the Stargate program was on for a very long time. Uh, now I think it's more kind of a private thing, but, um, but so, which means that uh, there is evidence that you can transfer information at a distance um, and, and, re and view and, and observe. But when you, when you remote view, what is it that you're doing? You are sending your consciousness to a remote location uh, and absorbing information. You're taking information, right? So, so that is a process of consciousness interacting with the physical world in a way that 
should be impossible, technically impossible. So, so that's why when you, when you, when you start thinking along those lines, why is it so crazy to think that I'm able to do that, you know, with, with an extraterrestrial on the moon, you know? So, and I think the extraterrestrials uh, are a lot more advanced. They're using a science that is kind of along the lines that I'm talking about, not the linear, you know, uh, tedious, uh, <laughs> uh, finite science. And they understand this, they understand um, these universal laws that all life is interconnected, not as a concept or as a philosophy, but a real scientific thing. Well, this takes us to your uh, documentary, Superhuman, The Invisible yeah. Made Visible. And uh, you know, that is quite fascinating because it raises all of these abilities that we have within us. So, yeah, you want to tell us why you put together that documentary, how long it took you to create that? Yeah, Superhuman actually is became very, very successful for those who have not seen it yet. You definitely have to see it because it brings this whole concept of our mind create our reality. You know, we hear about this all the time. It brings it to a whole new level. And so what I try to do, again, I like to bring uh, measurable, measurable data. And so in this film, we do multiple experiments uh, under laboratory conditions. You know, of course, we start with remote viewing. We kind of show how it works, uh, but then working with other scientists, for different scientists doing different experiments, uh, for example, trying to change the pH of water with your mind, you know, and we all know that uh, an alkaline environment is a healthy environment for disease or what have you. And so, so we did this experiment on camera, we're able to change the, the pH, we're able to change the electrical conductivity of the DNA with your mind, um, with your intention. Again, for people who don't know, um, uh, changing the electrical, the, there was a study done in Caltech um, and um, sh that showed that changing the, raising the electrical conductivity in the DNA changes its, 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 not only its shape, but its frequency. So from a um, double-strand DNA, it turns into a torus, a torus-like shape. When you increase the electrical conductivity, it starts to rotate in this torus shape and starts to self-repair, self-repair. And so, of course, nobody teaches this in school, right, Michael? And so, and so, but these experiments have been done, and we show that in the film, uh, simply by focusing your intention, your mind on uh, the DNA sample, how you can start observing it, change uh, its frequency and, and rotate differently. Uh, we do that. We also show uh, telekinesis, moving objects, you know, at a distance in a Faraday cage as well. And finally, at the end of the film, we show, and there's a few others, but uh, my favorite is the seeing with the blindfolds. Um, you know, uh, people from, you know, all over are able to train their brain to be able to see um, without their eyes, basically completely blindfolded. So how does that work? If it's not your consciousness that is actually able to reprogram your brain so that uh, you can see without light. 
I, I came across that for the first time. I went to the Ramtha School of mm. Enlightenment where, where they train people to do things blindfolded. And, and in your documentary, you have uh, children blindfolded and, and so you, you have these experiments. So, um, yeah, can you just explain more about what is happening when you do things like put on a blindfold and, and you start to use your other senses to be able to do things that you would normally see visually? Yeah. So, you know, when I first saw these children, I was like, okay, what's the trick here? What's going on? Because I also approach things in a very skeptical, like I like not skeptical that I don't believe, but I want to know how I'm not going to just go and say, this is possible. I want to know how. And so, so I, I went to see these children first in the UK and I was blown away. I mean, I was completely blown away. The, first of all, the masks are completely, it's, it's a blackout. You see nothing. And these kids um, are able to read. They're able to also do sports. I mean, they're like running around and throwing the ball. And, you know, so people who think like, even if there was like, if they were cheating, even if there's a little hole somewhere or something, I mean, you try running around and, you know, getting on a the bike, they're running, they're uh, uh, riding bikes, they're skating, they're playing ping pong. I mean, I was just completely blown away. And so uh, also, for example, we would test them. We would write something on a piece of paper so they have no idea what it is. And then we'd be like, okay, so what's on a piece of paper? And they could read it. So that's how we know that this was a real thing. And, and I decided to include it in a documentary. And then I found other groups um, that were doing the same thing. What was fascinating was um, the fact that the different groups used different techniques, but to get to the same thing. So, so I wanted to understand because, you know, obviously I've created multiple methodologies for all sorts of, uh, you know, mind thing, mind expansion thing, meditations and things like that. And so I realized that you know, there's different method that works for different people. And of course, children can learn it much faster. And, um, and basically, you know, I mean, I can talk about a few of the couple of the methodologies, but sometimes is you, it's this form of remote viewing, you know, thinking that you can see uh, whether you're there or not outside your body. Sometimes it is bringing light uh, inside the brain and you start to literally uh, through specific visualization and exercises you literally start to see light it's, it's crazy but you have to try it and eventually I came up with my own course and I taught it online and the results were insane you know after the second session even the first session the children can see color they can recognize the color and then adults maybe after the second session I think and then, um, and then eventually you can read and you can do certain things. So to me, that was the, the best validation that our consciousness is not bound to our physical body. And it certainly is not an, a, does not come out of the brain. It is, it is absolutely outside the brain and it's infinite and boundless. Well, you know, that is amazing. I mean, the, the fact that these uh, children were able to read books while they're blindfolded and, 
and they're able to ride bikes. I mean, you know, that it sounds fantastic. I mean, so is there something about the environment that they're in which is kind of like a, allowing them to do that? I mean, is it is it that they're in a loving environment? Is it that there's some kind of like um, music or some kind of uh, – uh, EMF, special EMF waves or anything that's because that sounds in incredible. So, I mean, the obvious question is why isn't this being taught more, you know, more widely? Yeah, you would think, right? <laughs> uh, because uh, so I met the children and I met the children's parents as well. And I have to say the common denominator seems to be that the, the parents are very open. You know, they're allowing the child to explore uh, different things. And so just that allows the child to be open to, oh, okay, you want me to see with blindfolds on? I think I can, you know, and, or sometimes the child has some sort of uh, emotional problem. Some of them are autistic or a little bit autistic maybe, or they uh, struggle with ADHD. And so they're looking, so the parents are looking for alternative ways uh, you know, to, to help the child and, um, and they stumble on something like this, they try it and miracles happen, you know? Uh, and, and also what happens is that when the child starts to, uh, succeed at, at doing it correctly, then they get, they kind of get a sense of, Oh, you know, I can do this. You know, they get self-confidence. It helps them focus. It, I mean, it really, really improves their lives tremendously. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an incredible experience and I don't know why it's not taught. I, I mean, so much, so many important things aren't taught, you know, but I'm hoping this will be the future. I mean, it just shows how important it is to keep that open mind uh, rather than like front loading children with all of these dogmas and beliefs that you you like open, you keep an open mind and get them to like try doing things like blindfolded reading of books and riding bikes which you know for for an adult seems impossible or ridiculous but that's because of our you know belief systems that have formed over a lifetime but children as you said you know they're very open their minds are plastic more plastic plastic and uh, if parents are supportive then yeah that that is amazing and i yeah it's too bad that it's not taught more widely yeah it's, it helps a lot the children's you know self-confidence and uh even in school i think it, it helps them learn better i mean it's uh yeah, incredible tool. So I hope more people will take advantage of it. And that's the that's the point of the films that I'm making, you know, is to encourage people not just to discover some sort of trick, you know, some sort of new method, but to start to believe in themselves, you know, like, look at these children, they're able to teach themselves to do this. Um, therefore, you know, everything we talk about that consciousness is uh, omnipresent, omniscient, you know, omnipotent, you know, like all of it is real and here's the proof, you know? So that's really the goal of making, you know, these films, literally making the paranormal be normal, you know? Well, you've, you've mentioned uh, remote viewing um, uh, several times and these children are, are being trained or somehow remote viewing is, is part of what they're doing. Um, you know, and that, of course, 
they're doing it in a very loving, supportive environment with parents involved in some way. But I, I know that intelligence agencies have been involved in abducting children and putting them through these remote viewing programs. Uh, there's someone I've been working with. His name is Tony Rodriguez, and he was abducted at age 10, and he was put through a, a, a kind of like a, a program to train him in remote viewing, uh, and and that was at this location in uh, California, in Yokern, which is next to China Lake. And they used MK Ultra. So, I mean, I think the intelligence agencies are doing this as well. So, yeah, you have the positive side that you experienced in England with those parents and that school, but you also have intelligence agencies picking children who maybe have a particular aptitude and forcing them or putting them through a remote viewing program, but they're using these methods to control and manipulate them, which is very sad, but that seems to be very, I think that's probably happening quite a lot too. A lot. And I'm uh, pretty sure, especially like in China, you know, there is this whole CIA report. I'm not sure if you came across it um, that, you know, talked about all the children that the Chinese government was literally recruiting and studying, uh, not just remote viewing, but everything, telekinesis, levitation, uh, teleportation, you know, doing all sorts of things with the children. So I think the Chinese are totally into that stuff as well. And of course we are, um, you know, in Russia as well. So, you know, which again, Michael, like this, brings us to the point that if the governments are doing it, you know, that tells you that it's real. They're not going to waste their time and their energy and budget or what have you to do that if it wasn't real. And it's been going on for years. So this is even more validation that when we talk about, you know, consciousness and remote viewing and, and uh, communication with extraterrestrial, you know, it's it's totally real stuff, you know. So um, yeah, that, so that's that's the purpose of my work, and you know, especially making it in a film format to try to, you know, a lot of people don't want to read books or go to courses. They it's easier for them to just watch a film. You know, it's almost entertaining at first, but then it's educational as well. Well, I know that uh, China started doing these studies on uh, psychic children in the 1970s. There were papers written yeah. about it. And, uh, yeah, so they began developing that in the 70s. And, and, and of course, uh, yeah, this has been this has been something that the West has been kind of slow to catch up in. And, and of course, we have this, on the one hand, governments denying the reality of this, uh, of this phenomenon and, and, and children or adults, educators are, are kind of kept away from developing these abilities. But on the other hand, as you said, China, Russia, I mean, they've got many. I think the same thing in Russia is happening where they, they have uh, schools for children doing these types of things. They're encouraging that. But in the West, that seems to be discouraged at a public level, but unofficial, but at an, at, in these classified programs, they're doing it, but in a really messed up way that just screws up people's minds or the children that get involved, like this Tony Rodriguez. I mean, he he was describing, uh, you know, they were they were kind of torturing these kids 
to be able to develop these abilities. And he was only 10, but he said there were others there that were very young. And the Montauk project was the same thing. So it's like, you know, why is it that we in the West <laughs> try to develop these yeah. advanced abilities in children using MK Ultra and torture, whereas Russia and China, I mean, they seem to be much more advanced than us. Yeah, I think so. And, and again, I think even the remote viewing started in Russia, didn't start here. I mean, you know, maybe a few people were doing it, but at a government level, Russia was doing it. And then we said, wait, the Russians are using soldiers, you know, training soldiers to to uh, be psychic spies. We need to be doing that. So, yeah, it's it's interesting what you, you know, the point you bring up that um, we're doing it in this kind of cruel way, maybe because we don't know better, you know, and uh, or maybe we think that using technology such as bombarding them with frequencies and uh, radiation or what have you is going to get us faster or better. Maybe they're looking for more of an AI type thing that would change, the, you know, the brain patterns or something more drastically and faster you know, they're relying more on the technology to achieve those results. I mean, that's an explanation I can think of. Yeah, but it's definitely messed up. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is messed up. And, and and what you saw and experienced, you know, this is very self-empowering. But, I mean, I think in the classified programs, they don't want uh, self-empowered children. They want children who feeling highly controlled, who can be manipulated for the programs. And maybe they're using uh, like pharmaceutical products or they're using electronic uh, technologies or maybe they're using some kind of technological um, in, uh, enhancement to kind of get these children to display or develop these advanced abilities, but at the same time to control them. Because that seems to be, I, I, I know in China, I mean, they have a, a kind of mind control, soft mind control, where it's just like, you know, you've got to be patriotic, you've got to love the motherland, and, and don't deviate from that, otherwise you get into trouble. But in the West, I think we are much more brutal in, in how these abilities are developed in, in advanced, uh, you know, for people that have that um, advanced talent. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. It's uh, it, yeah, I don't I don't really know the exact reason why, but uh, it's very possible. It's it's for more control, because once you perhaps uh, I mean, think about it, if you are injecting some sort of frequency at a distance, let's say, you know, into someone's consciousness, then you can potentially manipulate that frequency also at a distance, you know, if that makes sense. And so perhaps it's part of a different type of program where, yes, you are using technology and devices to get the children to do something, but then they kind of be, could become a little bit like robots, you know, because you are injecting some sort of, I mean, I, I don't want to necessarily go to the implant thing, but a form of implant, like a frequency implant, perhaps, that you can then you know, manipulate in a different way at a distance all through technology. It's very possible. Well, one of the kind of uh, things that maybe is a sign of uh, these heightened abilities are gamma brainwaves. Mm. I've, I've come across that uh, for certain 
some of the super soldiers that I've uh, uh, interviewed or have learned about that uh, these are people that have very high gamma brain waves and that gives them the ability to kind of do things that no seems impossible to normal humans like like teleportation or be or to be able to use um, extraterrestrial technology so yeah have you come across that i mean gamma brain waves and the advanced abilities that result from people having naturally high gamma brain wave activity Yes, I have actually investigated this myself. We did a lot of experiments with uh, brain waves, uh, and I think certain brain waves are associated with different experiences and different um, um, abilities. So, for example, we recorded my brain uh, when I was doing a meditation, uh, and it's a sort of a remote viewing because when I do a meditation, I'm, I'm saying uh, connecting to source. I'm not just saying source. I'm actually going there, you know, if that makes sense. I'm going there with my consciousness and tapping into that frequency. And so I'm doing things like that with my consciousness, more my brain, and it's registering whatever I'm saying, right? And we, we did multiple things like that. And, my, and it, we noticed that um, when I said certain words, when I went somewhere, you know, in my mind, the alpha or the delta, the waking delta, not the regular, because delta is when you're asleep, but the, the delta was off the chart. So that's extremely unusual because delta, it's supposed to be when you're asleep. And yet, um, you know, obviously. And so, um, so I feel that that, that type of brainwave, uh, the waking delta brainwave is associated with things like remote viewing or uh, remote sensing, remote influences, things like that. However, when I was receiving information, like downloads uh, also, um, the gamma would shoot up. So, so is gamma allowed? Maybe I want to say gamma could be responsible or we think is, a, is an indication that you are processing a lot of information extremely fast, whereas the waking delta is allowing you to, to go places with your consciousness and receive proper information. Does that make sense? So it's, it, it's, it's fascinating. We did a lot of experiment like that. And if I may add, um, so just fun, and also to prove, to make more, um, to validate more the points that we're discussing. So, so we, we recorded the meditation and my brain was doing, you know, <laughs> these crazy things. And then we put the recording and the, the thing to, uh, on, a, on a per, another person's brain. And all she had to do was listen to the meditation, my voice. And her brain started to do what my brain did. So this, this tells us, this is entrainment, this tells us that the information was still stored basically in the voice, in the frequency of my voice. And when another person heard it, her brain was shooting up like crazy, responding exactly the way mine did. What do you think of that? 
you know this tells us this is more validation that frequencies are transferable that the brain is you know you you are able to entrain to different frequency and so on and so forth well that's very encouraging um, obviously uh, the more we associate ourselves with people that are displaying or exhibiting these particular brainwave states that we're going to start developing similar abilities. So, I mean, that that's that's very helpful to know. Well, I, I wanted to kind of like um, finish up by looking at your final uh, video that's most recent that came out in 2022, uh, A Tear in the Sky. So what, why don't you tell us about that one? Yeah, this one, I love this film. So this was about UFOs. And so I think a couple of years ago, I was going to do the sequel of Superhuman because it had it was such a big success. But I got a download. No, 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 you're going to do a UFO film. So I was like, okay, <laughs> UFO film. But again, my style or my signature or my contribution is to bring data, you know, to bring measurable data, to go to the next level. I don't want to just keep talking about the subject saying, you know, how messed up it is and it's a conspiracy or what have you. So I decided to do a scientific expedition. You know, there's a lot of uh, scientists studying data that's already out there. Uh, but I, you know, as a filmmaker, that's the first thing you do. You, you, um, you research who has done a, a, a kind of large scale uh, scientific expedi UFO expedition. Couldn't find any. So I said, that's what I'm doing. So uh, how do we do it scientifically? So it had to be multiple devices. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars of devices, optical, um, of course, radiation, uh, spectrum analysis, uh, spectrum analyzers, um, infrared cameras in the infrared range, cameras in the FLIR range. FLIR is like military, you know, uh, range. So we had all of these cameras covering the whole sky, uh, picking up data. And we thought we need to be in multiple locations to achieve triangulation, because then we have even more scientific data. So just imagine three different locations, three different crews <laughs> filming at the same time. And um, we said, okay, so how many days? So we should, we can't just go one day, you know? And so originally it was a 10 day expedition and the budget was getting so crazy. I said, well, let's go five days. And then if we don't find anything, then we can always extend it. And so, uh, because I was funding the project, it was getting out of control. And so, so we go imagine five days, five days only um, in uh, the Laguna Beach area in Southern California. And then the other crew um, was in Catalina Island, which is kind of basically across each other. Um, and, and then we, the third one was like a mobile uh, one. And we are filming, you know, 24 seven which was extremely hard from a production standpoint. And uh, first day was a disaster, you know, calibrating the equipment, you know, power outages, all kinds of stuff. But then the next day we started to capture amazing things on camera. We're able to triangulate, we're able to get data on multiple devices at the same time, which was amazing. 
And then we, we even captured Tic Tacs, Tic Tacs like the ones, you know, that everybody knows about. Uh, we captured those. And, um, and then at the end, we captured uh, an incredible anomaly, which you saw maybe in the trailer at least, uh, which nobody can figure out to this day. Uh, it's some sort of opening and closing of like a cloud of some sort with multiple objects popping out of it. And so we had radiation spikes during that time. We had radar, we had cameras, everything pointing to this anomaly. And to this day, not one scientist can figure out what it is. So with the, the Tic Tac, I mean, that's clearly something that has gotten the public's attention because of the 2004 Nimitz uh, sighting. You know, was it very similar in terms of size and I mean, it had that Tic Tac shape? I mean, did you get an idea or the film, did it give you any kind of uh, information about the origin point, you know, where it was traveling from or to? You know, how long did you get capture that on film for? We actually captured that one on the FLIR camera. FLIR means it, it's in the high um, infrared range, meaning even in the lower infrared anyway, you cannot see it in the naked eyes. So, so if you looked at the sky, you would see nothing. But on the camera, on the monitor, we could see this object that looked exactly like the Tic Tac and was traveling against the wind exactly in the same way. So that's how we captured that one. And so also this tells us that, um, that, you know, we captured most of the interesting anomalies through uh, the FLIR cameras. We had eight FLIR cameras, uh, military grade, like covering the entire sky. So, and most of the most fascinating ones were caught on these cameras, which tells us that these are, cannot be seen in the naked eye, with the naked eye. So right now, there could be tons of stuff going on and we, you know, we, we think there's nothing happening and there's tons of the stuff happening. We're just, people aren't pointing their FLIR camera. Nobody has a FLIR camera, you know, in their garage, but you know what I mean? And so, so, so this film I felt really took the whole subject to a whole new level. First of all, uh, because we showed so many anomalies with the FLIR cameras, um, therefore that, the average person, I mean, nobody could see what's really happening in our skies. And the second thing, um, think about this, five days, and we are civilians, right? We're not, we're not military. I mean, uh, we don't have million-dollar radars. We have regular, well, I mean, it was, some of it was commercial. Most of it was military grade. But still, we are civilians. We set up to do, to do this scientific expedition for five days, and we captured hundreds of hours of data, you know, especially this anomaly at the end. And so when the government tells us, you know, like, oh, there's nothing there, or we get videos that we are not clear, or we don't know what they are, or whatever, it's like, come on, you know, <laughs> just, like, just go out for five days with the right equipment, and boom, you see everything, there's tons of it. Well, that suggests that uh, stealth technologies have been successfully developed in classified programs. I, I remember coming across uh, papers uh, that have been released concerning DARPA programs where they were developing 
kind of like uh, not just radar invisibility, but also kind of visual uh, invisibility so that, yeah, the stealth technology is well developed. So it's not just extraterrestrial craft that are up there that can shift dimensions and go from the visible into the invisible spectrum, but also these classified uh, programs and the Tic Tacs. And this takes us to the question, are the Tic Tacs uh, extraterrestrial or are they part of a classified military program? I, is this my personal opinion? <laughs> I think it's, I think they're human made. Okay. However, well, I think the technology is not human. I mean, I think the technology is extraterrestrial. Yes, that that is what I believe too. That yeah. these have been reverse engineered yeah. by companies like Skunk Works, yeah. and 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 they're all over the place. And the FLIR and these kind of infrared cameras, binoculars, get it. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, it's not, uh, they're not, uh, there's no pilot in there. I mean, you know, people say, oh, how can you survive? It's nothing to do with that. And the, and, the, and it's not the type of material with, you know, that will, you know, because they're traveling at Mach 5 or whatever, Mach, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it has nothing to do with this. It's a different, it's a drone technology. It's a whole different, uh, you know, meta materials and stuff like that. I mean, that's my personal opinion. You know, I'm not, and uh, I have no proof or anything like that. Uh, but just also to say, like this last anomaly in the film, we didn't know what to call it. I mean, the, we had two scientists, very hardcore scientists on the team, not the ones that you know right away say, "Oh, we saw a UFO." I mean, these guys had their careers on the line, everything else, and. Um, and so this last anomaly that looked like an opening and closing and with a bunch of objects coming out of it, um, we called it a wormhole. I mean, a wormhole-like anomaly because opens, closed, and stuff comes out. And uh, actually, when the thing closed, there's like a couple of them that pop out. I mean, you see that very clearly in the film. And so we have multiple data points but then after the film we continued to try to figure out what this thing is so you know we kept asking different scientists you know maybe it's an atmospheric thing i mean you know we're open just we want an explanation there's not one scientist that can tell us um so then we filed a foia request because we tried to get satellite images uh, we thought maybe satellite images would tell us what these things are impossible nobody's giving us satellite images either they don't have them or they don't want to give it to the to us we file a FOIA request and we say we have the coordinates we have the size we have the time of day we have everything it's in the movie it's fascinating and so we file a FOIA request and guess what comes back exempt classified <laughs> very interesting right? so you do wonder if you kind of caught a portal of some kind um, on, on camera, uh, yeah, that this was something that is actively used by maybe the extraterrestrials uh, coming into our space time. That or a military something, you know, whatever, but uh, it's classified. <laughs> They're like, yes, we do have the geos we are the geospatial agency of the United States. We, you know, we have all the satellite images, you know, but the ones you want, those coordinates on that day at that time, we can't give you. <laughs> it is interesting. So, yeah. So, everybody so, should watch that film. <laughs> 
Yes, yes, a tear in the sky. So, you know, that is um, very good timing because right now we're at this critical point where uh, the mainstream, the, the whole planet really is being prepared for some kind of official announcement. I mean, you, you've got uh, these uh, UFO hearings, you've got uh, investigations by the Pentagon, by NASA, even the White House has an interagency UFO investigation, and you also have legislation underway. So it's clear that we're being prepared for some kind of announcement. And so the question is, do you, do you think they're going to announce that, oh, the extraterrestrials are here, you know, hallelujah, this is a wonderful thing for us, or is it, are, are they going to stage some kind of false flag alien event? You know, I think it's too odd that, you know, the the ones, the people who have been hiding this from us for all these years are now wanting to tell us something, you know. Uh, so we didn't believe them then. Why would we believe them now? You know, it's like I have a hard time with all of a sudden uh, wanting uh, those who didn't tell us the truth that they'd be telling the truth now. So having said that, I think in the government, we think everybody knows everything, but I don't think that's the case. I think some people in the government truly don't know <laughs> what's going on. But those who do know, uh, I think this is a staging thing. I don't know if they're staging some uh, extraterrestrial attack or anything, but I think they're preparing us for some agenda, you know, like um, something, you know, maybe uh, for that we like we do have uh, this alien technology in our airspace, but for national security, we couldn't say. However, we need more, you know, like maybe the Space Force thing is uh, part of this and we need more funding, you know, stuff like that. I think it's part of more politics, basically. Some like the next story because, and I think they got forced into it because there's too much stuff that leaked, you know, recently from the Tic Tac onwards, it's like they had they have to say something at this point. So, but it had I think it's staged, and I think there's something um, that's very well organized that that's going to come out of this. In other words, I don't think they're just going to come out and like what you just said, like, hey, sorry, we were wrong, you know. Yeah, I think definitely there's some agenda that's uh, uh, underway and. You know, it's just a matter of whether it's the white hats or the black hats that yeah, finally right. <laughs> have their agenda come out. So what's your next video documentary? Yeah, because of where we left off, you know, it's tearing the sky, you know, that anomaly and everything we found. So I am uh, right now uh, halfway through uh, working on a film called Portals, Portals in the Sky. So, so it's more about, okay, what are these things? Are, are they everywhere and how does it work and things like that. So that's fascinating. Um, and I'm working on other projects but are not UFO related, potentially also a sequel for Superhuman. Oh, wonderful. Well, so where do people go to uh, get your documentaries or, or to kind of like learn more about what you're working on or your books? Yeah, I think for, for the movies, they can go to omniummedia.com, omniummedia.com. And for my work on consciousness and, you know, healing and regression is omniumuniverse.com or carolinecorey.com. Okay, well, I definitely recommend watching those uh, 
video documentaries, I'm, I'm definitely planning to, to watch some of those myself. And I hope uh, those watching this uh, can support uh, Caroline's work. I know it's not always easy being an independent filmmaker and putting out the truth. So we want to support you and those that are you know, trying to raise consciousness by uh, bringing out the truth on these on these topics. So I want to thank you, Caroline, for being on ExoPolitics today. Thanks so much for having me. This was lots of fun. Thanks again. You have been listening to ExoPolitics today with Dr. Michael Sala. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this channel. Join or start a conversation in the comments. Take the time to explore the vast library of best-selling books, webinars, and podcasts by Dr. Sala. Visit exopoliticstoday.com. Thank you.